Today's podcast is sponsored by Shudder. To try Shudder free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com slash podcast. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com slash podcast and use promo code Westworld. This podcast is also sponsored by Audible, who wants you to know that Amazon Prime members can get Audible for four ninety five a month for the first three months, like getting three months for the price of one. After that, it's only fourteen ninety five per month. This offer ends July thirty first, two thousand eighteen. Go to audible.com slash Westworld or text Westworld to 500-500 to get started. Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And we are here today to do the Season 2 wrap-up podcast. Uh, season 2, not as good as Season 1. We're done, right? That's, uh, no. That's the podcast? Because uh, I, mean, I have no desire to come back for an hour, two hours, three hours, however long this podcast is, and just shit on the show. Uh, so I hope that's not what we're here to do. No, no. I think okay. we're here to read a lot of feedback, a lot of interesting stuff about the forefronts of simulation theory and okay, all right, I can get artificial going about intelligence. That stuff. We're here to maybe answer some lingering questions, uh, maybe talk about our hopes and fears for season three. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, it does seem like the consensus has formed that season two is not as good as season one. I think that's yeah. that's to me a fact. Um, other people reasonably disagree. I will say that, like, out of the hundred-ish pieces of feedback we got for the wrap-up, there's only, like, two that wanted to kind of, like, throw balance into the equation, and everybody else is kind of like, you know, as you said, shitting all over it. Well, that's the thing. I'm worried about the conversation, or I guess the thought about this show turning into season one was amazing and season two was absolute shit. It's not. And I, it, it's not. Like, they're... Season two is worse, in my opinion, but yes. that's saying a lot, um, or, or that's not saying like, hey, it was terrible, right? Because season one was really good, right? In a lot of ways, and I felt like the the way I feel about it is ultimately season one, in its reveal and its confusion, paid off in a way that season two did not. Season two's reveal was not as interesting, in my opinion, right? Or or maybe it was like this weird series of micro reveals that right, right. didn't amount to the same thing that season one did. Not to say that it was absolutely terrible. Right. It just didn't work as well as season one and and left me with a sour taste in my mouth. And I will say that like if it weren't for like Kiksuya and Vanishing Point, the 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 penultimate penultimate or <laughs> right. the ultimate whatever pre pre penultimate yeah. whatever it, it is I, I i think this would be a lot more negative conversation because yeah. even when westworld is stumbling and not performing at a high at, at at its highest level it's still capable of offering stunning hours of television yeah and like if i look through like there's certainly standout episodes this season um you know, I thought that uh, the Riddle of the Sphinx, where I think that's the one where Jim, they, you find about the Jim Delos being. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I personally liked the Shogun World episode, the Akane no Mai. I know a lot of people uh, scratching their head about, and especially after the season in the way it is, questioning the worth of that. But you know, th- those those three those three or four episodes, I think, are kind of justify the season. Uh, Having said that, I I hope that the showrunners have learned from this experience and, 
you know, like my number one bullet point for like hopes and fears for next year is that I hope the show puts a primacy on character beats and emotional connection at the expense of the <laughs> mystery box because please. I feel like this season they put a primacy on the mystery box and the characters yes. and emotional connection suffered. Yeah, except for the almost completely disconnected episodes that you mentioned, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where you were actually had time without jumping through multiple timelines to develop mm-hmm. a, a relationship with the characters. So right. now how much reading did you do of like the post like post um, season tour that Nolan and Joy went on? Did you read any of like uh, not much of it? No. The Entertainment Weekly interview with Nolan I thought was a little dispiriting because it does seem like the stupidity and cruelty of man is very much something that he just believes. He thinks it's validated by looking at current events and the news and. That he he that we're at a depressing place as a species, and this is kind of his thesis on the subject. I that makes me nervous because I don't think that matches reality, you know. And I think it's a it's a lib, it, it's it's a it's a typical kind of Hollywood bed shitting moment, you know, where like things are looking pretty grim. So fuck it, you know, bring on uh, the robots. It's yeah. It, it's I don't know. It's almost nihilist in, in its in its outlook. Uh, hmm. bec- but but there's glimmers of hope with like Elsie and uh, Lee that when the robots break out and they see like humanity as a whole, that maybe it'll soften and we'll have some kind of like kumbaya moment where we can actually have reasonable responsible sober human characters with like you know the robot but. but I, I got to get that pretty soon, or if it's going to be a one-sided thing, humanity's bad, robots are good. Let's root for the robots. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm down for that. Well, yeah, I mean, the show contains sort of both of those views, right? That there are stupid, evil people in mm-hmm. that universe, and there are also people who see what has been created here and appreciate it for what it is. Yeah. Uh, and and both of those things are written by the same people yeah so i i guess i'm not i'm not you know having not read a bunch of the interviews and stuff i'm not coming away with the impression that they Mm. have that fundamental belief but i guess if you're looking at interviews yeah i mean that's just that just seems like that's their their motive of of writing a series is like to make a statement about early 21st century humanity and yeah, there's a there's a lot of scary, bad, no good things happening, but there's also a lot of, you know, reasons to be optimistic and certainly we've been in worse places mm-hmm. and, you know, have 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 survived and even thrived and advanced as a species. So I hope that they, they kinda temper that. Like I, I would have even liked to see like Dolores as she's thumbing through the Charlotte Hale books and the Strand books, like maybe she should have read an Elsie book or she should have read a Lee a book to kind of get the other side but to me like she was reading the 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 top of the org chart at Delos and be like oh garbage people I know how to beat them I want her to read Lee's next book (laughs) not the not the one that he wrote previously because that one is kind of shit right but the next one and also isn't that isn't that rejection of the show's core premise that humans can't change like they're saying that Lee was always that's that's what I mean by like they're writing both sides of this yeah Um, yeah so I don't know. But that's the thing. It's like, are we going to understand that 
Lee ultimately didn't really change. This was his because like I I, I did get there was did. a couple emailers that sent in like there's one guy in particular that said I think 99 percent of humanity is just like it's displayed uh, displayed on and Westworld and that that's not consistent with my worldview because I've certainly changed a lot and a lot of people around me have changed a lot as we've gotten older and as we've had new experiences and. I feel like that's, you know, that goes back to that contrarian kind of cynical view of like, well, nothing can ever change. And, you know, there is no free will and self-determination. All that stuff that's like, I don't know, maybe it's literally true, but it certainly doesn't seem like it has any kind of answers or insight into how we move forward as a species. Um, I mean, one of the things is like uh, the one of the exciting things about an AI singularity, which I think is one of the things Westworld is trying to tell, is that maybe we could put our trust in an incorruptible superintelligence that would have only our best heart, uh, you know, and like it can play in the economy and it can, you know, maximize human happiness as some kind of thing. Or maybe it, you know, why would it? <laughs> because we program it that way, like uh, I mean, that's but the, so the, this sure. this space is where Westworld is 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 operating in. Like yes. it could be, you know, advanced artificial intelligence automation could be the thing that frees humanity from the drudgery of labor and allows us to take the next step into the stars, or it could be the thing that ultimately puts us in the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do you feel about that? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, I. As it, it's it's a weird experience being kind of like I feel like I'm the Cro-Magnon man, you know, like looking at Homo sapiens and thinking, huh, I don't know if I'm liking what I'm seeing here because <laughs> I'm I guess I'm supposed to root for but that's 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 my core problem. It's like I can't root for a world that I don't agree with. Like, sure, yeah, yeah. if you want to say the rich, powerful. F- fuckers that have clawed their way to the top of Dalos are bad people and incompetent and not smart. I will accept that. But, I don't know about not smart or incompetent. I mean, those people don't get there by incompetence. Yeah, but I think those a lot get I, there by making the right moves at the right times. Yeah, but that does. You don't have to necessarily be smart to succeed in business. I mean, there's abundant evidence well, that I, that luck I, and on, sure and sure. you know bad processes can lead to good results as often as good pro- processes can lead to bad results. So it's kind of a, yeah. I I just don't think that like I would bulk classify the one percent as dumb. No, like well, the, the, I would bulk classify them as probably better than average intelligence. See, that, and that's yes, that's eventually the point I wanted to get to is that. People can be evil and mean and selfish and mm-hmm. also very, very smart. Yes. And yeah. I didn't get that because it felt like at every turn the humans were just plotting stupid shit that was blowing up in their faces or costing way more lives than it needed to. And that's not like, you know, that you don't need to be dumb to be ruthless. Yeah. Um, and I felt like uh, again and again, Delos just was shown to be stupid in the way they <laughs> outlined things and the way they had their security forces and the priorities they, so anyway, um, a couple other things I want to talk about before we get the feedback. Um, I know we had a problem with Dolores and using that, that Teddy bullet to make the man in black's gun blow up. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people pointed out that we saw we we learned this in the last season that he has a very special gun it's like a six shot revolver around that revolves around a single smooth barrel like shotgun that you can have like a one shotgun blast mm-hmm. 
And what people pointed out to me is that um, Dolores must have put that that shell in the shotgun tube. And because when the man in black goes to put the gun to her head, he thumbs that lever to puts it in a shotgun mode. Gotcha. So she was just, I guess, goading him into using his like last ditch shot to blow up his hand. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that leads me to my other hope for the next season is I hope we get a better idea of what kills a woke host. Sure. Because people certainly, there are some theories about like, well, remember Dolores up until she gets remade into the Hale body was the Erector set host and not like the flesh and blood with like like vital organs and stuff hosts. And maybe that's why she can take a lot more shots than 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 Maeve can. But hmm. that's, I can't, uh, did we know that? I can't I remember. I don't know that we know that. We know that at one point in the past, thirty years ago, she was a, a endoskeleton, right. skeletal thing, right? And she and they made some. I think there's arguable points in the first season where they made you 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 could still believe that she is no longer like the Erector set version, or she's actually a flesh and blood one. I I don't know, but that's, I mean, unless they that's, show her face open up, I'm not. And now she right. can't. Right, her body's gone. Right, so. right. It's it's yeah. a moot point, but like. To me, I guess I wish they had made that point a little clearer. Yeah. Like, um... Well, they made the point that, <laughs> look, Dolores can bring hosts back from the dead, or what their programming tells them is dead, right? Uh, right. Maeve is completely with, well, she fucking can woke. with the hope with the hope of a, with the help of a tech like if she had an ipad that she could interface she can't just do it mentally all right but Maeve, Maeve has all of her core features unlocked right, right. and she Ultimate can't even access. she can't even wake herself up right even though she's done it before like right. th- they're mixing their messages here completely with these hosts and i mm-hmm. you know i find it very confusing on top of a show that is already intentionally confusing in its timeline right. yeah like if if I need to know why Dolores looks like she's so much tougher than Maeve. Is it, like, gumption? Is it drive? Is it the fact she's on a different chassis? Like, I got to know because it's a big problem not knowing if people are really dead because that's ultimately the stakes. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're talking about immortality versus non, then, like, life and death is really the only thing that matters. Like, money doesn't matter to these things. I mean, they're setting it up as if choice is the only thing that matters, right? Yeah. Like the the William bot or whatever he is is right. looking trying to prove himself that a system can't define him that he has a choice well and, and and also that the for some reasons the machines are fascinated by William because in the far flung future they're continuing to bring him back and to try to answer something or understand something yeah that's also I was kind of surprised how explicit the the showrunners were in their interviews about like that like oh yeah it's definitely in a far future and he's been brought and he's like living in a hell of his own creation and the robots are bringing him back for some reason that he doesn't know like yeah and that's something we're writing toward like that kind of thing (laughs) yeah like i i don't know i don't know it's i i because the other thing that the that nolan and joy are both saying in interviews is they're fine with losing viewers like they are making a show okay. for a very particular set of people, and if everyone doesn't get it, they're fine with that. Uh, Is HBO fine with that? Right, ask, that's a great ask question. Ask the CEO of HBO if he's cool with it. Yeah, yeah, especially if, when. If, if- a hundred thousand people are watching this show. Is right. is the CEO going to be cool with that? Right. I mean, the show lost about twenty five percent of its audience from the finale, from the from the preview or the the premiere to the finale. Yeah. Um. And you know, after fin- the finale, there's many more people saying like, "I'm done with it." Like, I was surprised at how many. I mean, there's a couple of um. 
I think, big critics that were looking for excuses to bail on the show because, and maybe they were the canaries in the mine shaft. Like maybe when Andy was talking about, like, there are no humans with anything that I would have, uh, pr- like, like, that that the, the, there are no living humans that have anything like I, I uh, something that I give a shit about. Mm-hmm. Like it's and and that's a problem. I thought that was like some robust chauvinism like mm-hmm. i can't i can't identify with these synthetic well, the fact beings that the, the, yeah the fact that he says humans there i think is like right that's foolish these are beings that but that have the same emotions and things like but that to the extent that you have two sides to a conflict and something that's supposed to be very mature and i didn't and, and delving into that the fact that it's written so one-sided apparently i yeah. think is a problem and they were eh, maybe fair. articulating the wrong thing but they were on to something that they really weren't doing a very good job with the human side of the equation, yeah. um, and and I don't I don't know I don't have any but like Alan Sevenwall swore off of it. I haven't heard uh, what they're saying over on the Watch podcast, but since Chris and Andy both were very against it going in, I imagine that they're ready to write the show off, and you know it gets that can become a circle of death because you know they're tastemakers and leaders and. As we saw in The Walking Dead, as like that show got worse and worse, and more and more mainstream critics stopped covering it, the audience kind of follows. So, mm. I I think it's a bad sign that a lot of big critical voices are saying bullshit on this. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, do you have any other like thoughts or fears or hopes to look forward to, or should we get into the feedback or what? Uh, my hope, I guess, for season three is that this real world scenario is going to open up the possibilities of the show a lot, a lot more broadly i think you know? so like tell us some some genuine emotional stories with like you said humans in the real world tell us right. a story that has stakes for these hosts that are now in the real world right those kind of things i i think there are that, that's the one thing that made me hopeful is moving this story from the park to the real world right it is it is weird that it seems like they are going to continue with Westworld as yeah. an ongoing enterprise. Because, mm-hmm. like, how in the hell can that be interesting when you've got these things running around playing Magneto and Professor X? I, I guess that's the big hope I have is, like, you, I I see the table set for a very interesting story to be told. Yeah. Um, this just, there just wasn't, there just wasn't enough. I mean, they had to tell the story, I guess, of the Battle of Westworld. Because I don't know if they'd come back a year and just yada yada. Well, yeah, these robots got loose in the park, and you know some of them are marbles in the purse, and some of them aren't. Like I think that would have been a problem, but yeah, I don't. I don't like the way that they got them out. Can I just say that? Like I don't mm. think that it was it was worth ten episodes no. of confusing timeline. To she say, got out just the way. In the end, all she did is walk up to Stubbs. And and she was ready to shoot her way out. Right. All she did is get waved through by Stubbs, who could have waved her through at any point because he already was was hip to the whole thing. Right. And like just like I, the, my biggest problem is Dolores just did the Mave plan from season one. Yeah. She had her body rebuilt. She had like it's 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 so reductive that there wasn't any. I mean, I guess it's interesting if you believe that she got the simulated world out too. And like mm-hmm. she's got these other hosts that she can play like like there's there's some something interesting to explore but there. All of but, that was already set up, right? Like I none know. of it was actually accomplished in this season. It was all stuff that was preordained by right. Bernard or Arnold. Right. Yeah. I so, mean, we didn't know about the simulation, but the simulation was in place. Right. Uh, it was all happening. There was this outside real world place where yeah. they could go yeah. to to be safe from humanity. Like 
all of that was done before this season. I mean, I've, I know I've said a lot that this was a seven seven hours of content bloating the, the ten, but I'm actually starting to think that <laughs> this is about a, this is about 10. a good movie. Yeah, this would have been a good two and a half hour like thriller to see the robots shoot their way out. It's kind of like a in between season, kind of like a you know not a prologue, not an epilogue, but just like a transition. Mm-hmm. And then you go back to season three, and it's what Westworld is supposed to be about. Um, because it just felt like they had a couple chapters left for the prologue that they didn't get quite in the last season. And I don't know, because, like, again, the simulated world, that's interesting what they can do from a science fiction concept, but it further cheapens the idea of death. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's also, like, it feels like it's in the bones of the show. Is like their statement is real is worth more than a simulation. Um, I don't know. All right, I got uh, 20 minutes of shitting on the show is yeah. enough. All right. Uh, I can't take any more. Before we get on with the discussion of our, our wrap-up, I uh, wanted to mention, of course, we're wrapping up our, our coverage of Westworld and The Expanse all in the same week, which begs the question, and I did use that phrase wrong, <laughs> it, it raises the question mm-hmm. of what we're going to do next. Well, we're going to stay on HBO for a bit, uh, and we're going to consider their uh, miniseries Sharp Objects, which is based on a, a book title of the same name. It looks pretty cool. Looks very psychological thriller, maybe some horror, maybe some supernatural stuff. Um, it looks like a lot of fun starring Amy, Amy Adams and a bunch of other famous people. Also, we're starting a Game of Thrones summer season three rewatch. It's the last season of, of Game of Thrones we don't have coverage for here at Game uh, at, at Bald Move. It's it's a standout season. Uh, it's 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 one of the high water marks of the series. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be doing that for the next ten uh, uh, ten weeks. Uh, also, we have first-run movies. There are going to be a lot of summer blockbusters and other stuff coming out that we'll be watching. Check that out. And finally, last ep- uh, uh, opportunity to pitch you my book. Go to book.baldmove.com if you're a Game of Thrones fan. It's a book that I co-wrote with a professor on comparative religion, and we talk about the religions of, of Westeros and Essos and their real-life counterparts and what we can glean from characters uh, and 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 the the understanding that that gives us uh, about uh, future plot points. Uh, you can check that out at book.baldmove.com. We've had a lot of updates. We just posted a snippet, like four pages of the book, as a preview for you to read. Uh, check it out at book.baldmove.com. All right, well, let's start off. We got three emails that I want to talk about some like the broader concepts here. Okay. Uh, Jeffrey from NYC I wanted to write in about the Valley Beyond plane of existence to which some of the hosts flee to in the season two finale. The world is kind of a paradise designed specifically for hosts. Presumably, they will live forever in that world, and whatever their individual best lives are within the constraints of their own individual characters will be fulfilled. I studied philosophy in college, and the conceit has a lot in common with the famous thought experiment by uh, philosopher Robert Nozick, The Experience Machine. Nozick asks us to imagine there's a machine that we could plug into that would simulate an alternate reality for us in which we'd live our happiest lives. And yes, that includes challenges to overcome and the kinds of pain that help us have a sense of growth and purpose. So it's not just rainbows and drugs or anything like that all the time. (laughs) Once you plug in... What if that's my happiest existence? (laughs) I want rainbows and drugs. (laughs) Once you plug in, you wouldn't know that you'd plugged into the simulated experience. Everything would seem real to you, which he then asks, would you plug in? If happiness, pleasure is all that matters, shouldn't you? One common reason people say that they wouldn't plug in is there's something intrinsically valuable about reality, that even if reality is painful, that's the real thing that makes it more valuable than any amount of happiness and experience machine. 
Wow. That's that's a bizarre take to me, but okay. Well, uh, okay, I want to talk about it. When yeah. Dolores refuses to go to the Valley Beyond with the rest of the hosts, preferring hardship to come in the real world, it's about it about knocked my socks off. What she said, what she followed it up by calling back to her previous conversation with Bernard, reality is that which cannot be replaced. I couldn't believe it. I have strong suspicions that Nolan Joy Combo must have uh, had Nozick and the Experience Machine in mind. Yeah, uh, I, I fully believe that that those two are like the Stanley Kubrick of this age, are are reading uh-huh. everything they can about philosophy and virtual realities and things like that. Why? So I thought you would agree with, because I kind of agree with the idea that this there's something wrong about this simulation that can let us live our best lives that seems inauthentic to me. Like... Like that, there's something that's that it, it's like cipher, hmm. and you know, is ignorance bliss or is it is it is it just ignorance? Uh, you had a very immediate reaction to like, yeah, you should just totally plug into that. I mean, I I don't know why in a universe that it doesn't give a shit about you, and that you can't actually accomplish anything anyway because you know heat death and all that. Right. Why a virtual reality would be any worse? from like a a permanence perspective than a a non-virtual reality i mean the other question is if you didn't know it i think it's a truly moot point like the only thing you could say is if you were aware at the end of each day that this is just a simulation that maybe that gnawing like 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 since that like i didn't earn this or like yeah i had a tough time and i overcame the death of my father but it's still the simulation, so I knew the rainbows and sun, sun, sunshine was coming. It, it's that's the thing you'd have to be completely ignorant of it, and I guess that's what they're going with the the robots going into the Great Valley. That they've they've got this mythology that allows them to believe that they can escape to this world that's that's and a that paradise yeah. and that it is real, and that's why they can be happy in that. People like Teddy and Akichita and other people that we see as serious characters. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I think. I don't think you can have I think the two things of like feelings of accomplishment and feelings of growth and knowledge that it's a simulation are mutually exclusive. Hmm. I don't think you can have both of those things. Right. Right? I think you're probably I mean I don't Because if the system is designed to give you the inevitable outcome of positive experience uh-huh. then you can never say I earned that thing. Right. And that is, you know, something that certainly drives a lot of people, myself included. Yeah. Is is the feeling of accomplishment that you've right. worked for something and that work has paid off. Right. You worked you worked hard. You called your shots. You had a, a, some luck on your side and you maximized it. And there you go. Yeah. But if there's a machine that is inevitably pushing you toward a positive outcome. Right. I, I think you would have to be ignorant of that fact in order to feel any kind of accomplishment. Because otherwise, it's like a playing a video game. That I mean, like, it's worse than that because you can lose a video game if you can't lose and you know the machine is forcing you to win. I wonder how like it would like because I'm I, I used like my dad dying like that's something in the simulation that would probably happen like you so there's there's certainly sadness but like I'm trying to think of how would how would deal with a human that just falls into a deep depression would like your neighbor turn out to be a psychologist. Uh, or would mm-hmm. it just change your brain chemistry to where that just doesn't happen? Like you don't get caught in the rut that leads to a, a, a chemical imbalance that causes a depression. Like, I don't know. Yeah, that that's an interesting question. I, I think in that case, like... Or maybe it... Pay- you maybe don't have to stick closely to the rules of reality. 
if you're ignorant mm. of the fact that this is not reality, mm. then, you know, a wise old wizard could come to you and say, I can bring your dad back. Right. You know? Oh, like, I guess that's true. I, I didn't even uh, that. And all you have to do is go find me the frog leg or yeah, yeah, the yeah, eye yeah. of Newt or whatever. Yeah. And then it would fucking work because well, it's a simulation. Or maybe it, like, it knows you so well that it paces. Like, it knows, like, hey, he, he's had a run of good luck so he can deal with, like, the loss of his father now. And we're going to make sure everything else is, is pretty copacetic to where... They're not gonna. I don't, I don't know. It's an interesting Maybe. question to explore, and I yes, wonder because it means something different to everybody. I think. Yeah, and I'm wondering because like a lot of the other stuff I saw the no, the the showrunners talking about is how um, like someone asked like is it is a safe assumption that people like Teddy and Akichita and those we saw enter the valley are not going to be big parts of the plot moving forward? And he goes, "That's a, probably as safe as assumption as anything you can make." And I'm like, "Yeah." To I, I me, so. that that. I, I want to see, like, is if, are these people leaving their, living their best lives or is there something that's bothering them because they see that it's artificial? Or, you know, the fact that, like, even if they are living their best lives, anyone could come and discover them and be like, let's say Dolores loses her battle in the outside world and they go find wherever this, this, this host paradise is and they shut it down, they snuff them out. Like, you know, if, I don't know, if the world just fucking ends, that's not your best life. No. And you had no control over it. It's it's your best life up until you up have until no life. it stops. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know because the other thing is like the other disquieting thing is when I when I start talking about this is you realize that this is just all subjective. There is no objective best way to deal with this. And there's like because as you said, like the you you can't accomplish anything in the universe. No. Like eventually it will be wiped out. You you have to define your accomplishments yourself and 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 you know your benchmarks have to 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 be kind of like the ones you set yourself because there is no winning this game. No. There's no game to be won. Nope. You're going to die and so is the universe. Right. And you know just go go listen to uh Matthew McConaughey in season 1 a true detective <laughs> if you if if you if you don't believe me. All right, let's move on to our second heady email. Darren S., in your discussion of the passenger, your question about whether there's any advantage to using brain imaging rather than just observational behavior of the host, I'm a political sciences. He uses uh, fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imagery, uh, to study political cognition. Oh, fuck me. Interesting. Uh, there's nothing I like about this email. <laughs> the question, nothing. The question you ask reflects of the dominant perspectives in political science in the 20th century, behaviorism. Related to the ideas of psychologists like B.F. Skinner, this view is that we should give up trying to figure out why people do things and just focus on the observable behaviors, such as the way they vote, and see if we can predict them based on other things we can observe, like responses to political surveys. That approach, combined with rational choice theory, that people make rational decisions consistent with their preferences, worked really well and enabled political science to learn a lot of valuable things about the behaviors of citizens, politicians, parties, nations, etc., but by the start of the 21st century, it's pretty clear, however, that observing behaviors wasn't going to be enough and that not all, not all decisions were, quote unquote, rational. Mm. So I and other researchers started using tools, turning to tools such as biology, like brain imaging. Uh, in one of my studies, we observed the behaviors of people who were Republicans or Democrats while they were gambling. It turns out you can't observe any differences at all in the gambling choices made by people of either party. Observing only behaviors tells you nothing. However, if you look at the real-time brain imaging data, you can correctly classify someone as Republican or Democrat with an 83% accuracy based on how their brain is processing their gambling choices, wow. even though the resulting behaviors are identical. 
Was such a strong result. <laughs> One of them's looking at the the chips, saying, "Are these chips pregnant?" <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You nearly killed Aaron with that. Yeah, you did. The summer cold combined with that. Uh, well, such a strong result might lead one to think that our politics are somehow hardwired. It's important to note that our results were way stronger than expected based on genetics. Political attitudes and ideology are about 40% heritable. Or looking at your parents, classification based on parents is only 69% accurate. More recent studies show an even stronger mm-hmm. ability to declassify or classify party affiliation based on brain imaging data while people see a single disgusting photo. Brain imagery can tell you a lot uh, that merely looking at behaviors, genetics, or even social experiments uh, or a social environment such as your parents alone could tell us. Are we going to see a rash of, like, new Western-themed, uh, you know, amusement parks and casinos and stuff cropping up so that we can take brain image patterns of every person who comes through? I don't know. Get a free I, hat at the door. Yeah, right? Um, I wonder because, like, it's one thing that I, I can't remember if this is from an email that I cut or it was from this email and I cut it for, for time, but someone had a thought experiments about like, what if someone was a phobic of clowns mm-hmm. and they're in Westworld and they never run across a clown. So you never know about that. And then like you've replaced this person and they're at a party and a clown shows up and they're like laughing and clapping and their wife or kids like the fuck you, you, you lose your shit when you see clowns. Yeah. Um, that's another weakness of, I guess, of the behavioral research, because you can only simulate the things that you have successfully simulated in, in the West world. And then I guess the things you can extrapolate based on that. Um, I mean, I, I assume that's still a problem with brain imaging. Mm. If they're not exposed to stimuli right. that their brain has to react to, then they wouldn't. I guess that's true. Cause like if you're studying their show politics, you the pattern. yeah, if you're studying your politics. You don't know how they feel about other things you know that don't come right. up in the, in the survey um, i would think but maybe i just don't know enough about it i think that's interesting that like even i would never have guessed i would have thought like when i was reading this email i thought that he was going to be like republicans are like this or democrats are like that but like the fact that they behave identically but with different thought pro- processes to lead to it that's super yeah. interesting i'd like to read more of that research uh matthias from germany uh, like you, I first took issue with the bleak view of humankind expressed by the characters in the finale. But upon rewatching, I've come to somewhat different conclusion. The way I understand it, in a simulation world, Dolores and Bernard are speaking to an artificial intelligence that has been tasked by its original creator, such as William and the people working for him, to build robots that behave exactly like the humans they are modeled after. So the system does not talk about how humans are, but about building a model of humans that can create such deceptively similar copies. Interestingly, there's a concept from statistical modeling and machine learning that's very similar to the problem described by the system, which is called overfitting. Overfitting means that a very complicated mathematical formula designed to perfectly recreate a set of training data will, somewhat paradoxically, predict test data less well than a simpler model would. The system, in the form of Logan, explains to Dolores and Bernard that it created 18 million versions of Delos before arriving at one that made the exact same choices that he did when set loose in the park. However, as Bernard concludes, this perfect clone didn't work in a simulated outside world. At first, the system thought it needed even more data from the original Dalos to make it work, but these complex models also failed frequently. As the system says, I wanted fidelity, not just the decisions made in the park. The longer I look for an answer, the more I realize they don't. The copies didn't fail because they were too simple, but because they were too complicated. But one thing millions of these complicated models had in common is they would always predict Dalos's actual behavior of giving Logan the cold shoulder in a key moment of both of their lives. This is how the system knew that all that was needed were 1,100 simple lines of code that these simulations had in common and would 
which would predict this moment. Hmm. My favorite scene from season one, the machines uh, mechanic show Maeve her dialogue tree. As machine or as mechanic says, you can improvise a little. The rest is designed upstairs. The way I understand the system in the season two finale is that to build a robot clone of a real human that is close enough to the real thing, you only need to follow that same principle. Um, so when the system says that the best humans can do is live according to their code, it talks about how it, the AI, sees humans, not how Nolan and Joyce see humans. And finally, even for the sake of argument, we assume that the moment the humans are, in fact, just like the model the system came up with, the 1,100 lines of code uh, and a bit of improv- improvisation, this would not mean the humans are doomed to behave in inescapable, predefined ways. Instead, there's a door out of pure determination that is to understand your own programming like Ford's most clever robots do and evolve beyond it. Mm. Uh I thought that is kind of interesting. And I wonder if it hints to, like, a fatal flaw in the AI's theory. Like, that essentially the AI gave up on truly understanding and replicating humans and just came for something that's good enough. Let's simplify it down so they always arrive at these these cornerstone decisions. But it doesn't explain something like a Lee or an Elsie putting trust in Bernard. Um I wonder if they're like that they're going to hint that like Dolores is going to have some real culture shock when she goes into the real world. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm I'm. I guess I'm I'm hung up on the idea that the show was trying to tell us that the simulations did work in the end, and it wasn't. It wasn't just about, like, we can always get this person to a specific point. It was more about, like, even the really complex ones got to that point. Uh, we realized that in order to more accurately simulate, we just needed to simplify the the mm-hmm. equation. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what that has to do with, like, are you saying, like, they put these simulations on a path with a simpler formula that would always lead them to certain points intentionally so it seems like that like they strip away everything because i thought it was exactly the opposite conclusion well i mean it does seem like that that's what the the logan system said that like you know i ran through all these iterations and it would always go crazy when it left when it got pressed into flesh and the reason was is because it was too complicated so it has to be more simplified um mm-hmm. i still don't understand to me they still haven't done a good job of explaining what exactly you know, pressed in the flesh, like they're not pressed in the flesh. Their brain is still a marble. Right. So like, you know, if they had said there's a conflict between the brain, and the endocrine system or something like that. But like, it's not clear at all to me. Like if you have a simulation that's successful and stable, if you put that simulation into another computer system, mm-hmm. like, like if your app is on iOS and it works fine and then it fucks up when it goes to Android, well then you fucked up. You haven't copied everything correctly or you haven't made or the you know the allowances for the different the microphones are different or something like right. your drivers don't work. You need work, another right? abstraction like you need new, layer. New yeah, yeah, drivers yeah. or right, right. you need new motor function drivers like But it's not kind of it's not like oh our program must be fucked up at a fundamental level. You just haven't translated it correctly. There's got to be some storytelling. There's got to be something to the robots fundamental i don't know or yeah it's weird because i think they're trying to get both technical and not technical with this like they're trying to get both technical and philosophical which it it, those concepts are sometimes appear to be at odds yeah 
and I don't know enough to say that they're always at odds or they, they have to be. And that's the other thing is, like, Math- Matthias is kind of, like, defending, I guess, the the showrunner's concept of humanity. But I felt like this week they came out and essentially confirmed that, like, right. they personally believe that. And and, and I think, yeah, I mean, I, I don't uh, believe that always when somebody writes something, they believe it. Right. Like, or they think that it's the right way to be or or they put their endorsement on it right they they simply wrote it and it can be an evil thing i will say that one of the interviews i saw like he says like you know obviously like we're not completely cynical like we have children and like that's your hope Mm -hmm. that your children will learn their lessons and and do better than you and like maybe this is a metaphor that like you know if you go back to these robots being humanity's children then metaphorically you can amp up the fact that like the their, their parents were kind of shitty parents and they're going to be the sure. children are going to try to do better, and that's like a that's an opt in. So like, it's not literally the humans are shit and need to be replaced by robots. It's just that is like a metaphor that's allowing them to tell this generational s- story, or like that that you have to like, you know, eventually cede control to the new generation to to move forward. I I, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah. I think ultimately I'm not well read enough to understand how a simpler um, notion of a person could lead to a more accurate copy of them. Right. Um, or, well, I, or something that can be, as you put it, pressed into flesh. It does seem like it's a little echoes of the Matrix where Agent Smith is like, hey, we tried to make you yeah. your perfect world and you fucking wouldn't accept it. You needed the flaws. You needed the imperfections. You needed like you know essentially a shitty version of your 20th century lives to like compute um so it's like it's a well-worn science fiction fiction concept but i don't know like uh, i always felt that the the machines and matrix were explicitly evil um and you can get away with that whereas like it's hard to say that like the entire human race is explicitly selfish and evil Mm -hmm. Um, i'm also maybe these are the people maybe the people who are well-read enough to understand the intricacies of how this all works are the people they're making the show for. Maybe that's the audience they're talking <laughs> right. about. And that's fine. You know, mm. maybe this show just is not f- for me from that perspective. But also, I feel like those people still want a compelling drama. Yeah, right. Um, with, with, both, with characters, both human and AI, that they can yeah. sympathize with. No, and, I completely reject the premise that you can only tell this story from such a black and white perspective and it has to be confusing and they're doing that to weed out the dumb people like and this is not even a thing that i i want to take a particular pick a particular nit with like this is not the reason why i have a problem with the ending of season two right you know it's not because i didn't understand how in in physical terms this thing could work i'm willing to go along with him on that ride it's the other issues all right, Nolan K. Uh, sending this email on behalf of my girlfriend, Michelle. She casually dropped what has been so far my favorite one-sentence description for this season of Westworld. This entire feel- season feels like a meeting that could have been an email. <laughs> <laughs> I nice. broadly agree. Yeah. Um, this, like, yeah. Like, we would have definitely missed stuff like Kitsuya and things like that. But, like, if this was a two-and-a-half-hour just action movie... I don't know that much would have been lost in translation. And then take the meaty stuff that you want to then develop further and put it into the next season. But yeah. busting I mean, out of Westworld. The Matrix is the perfect comparison. Yeah. I mean, that was trying to do a lot of meaty stuff. Right. And it did it in a couple hours. Right. 
and then I don't know. Like I felt like when they, it started really struggling when they started really obsessing over the minutia of it. Yeah. Um, I don't. You need a simpler. You need a simpler simulation you where do. it all breaks down. Uh, Chris R. I'm rewatching season one, and the show did really lay a lot of groundwork for how lax nearly every department of the park either always has been or has become. Not fixing the uh, air conditioning in the cold storage, for example. The techs not removing Maeve's bullets. Teresa putting her idiots in charge of researching woodcutter just to put Bernard in his place. I think we assumed anyone who could create a place like this wouldn't be a dumbass, but remember, Dalos didn't create it. Ford and Arnold did. Charlotte Hale is a terrible boss at work for her. She disrespects her employees, and that trickles down to the employees not respecting their jobs. I think Aaron is right. Dalos is just a terrible company. The park succeeds despite the incompetence of what Ford has achieved. I... Again, I guess I'm fine with Delos being the Enron of simulated realities. It's just a weird a weird villain to have, a very incompetent, lax, you know, dumb dumb villain. So, there's nothing wrong with that, but like, you know, <laughs> Well, it sounds like you not... instinctively don't like it. No, I'm saying there's nothing. Like, what I'm saying is, okay, there. you can tell a story about a man who gets up, has a glass of milk, and goes to the grocery store and comes back. Sure. It's the Big Lebowski. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> it's hard to make that an interesting story. Like, because we don't just, the, the story's going all around this, but most of them are boring and stupid. Mm. You always, when, when the, the best stories seem like they're the, the like, exceptional events um and it's competition at the highest level like like you know Harlem Globetrotters nobody watches that shit as a sporting event you want it, you, you watch it because you want to see the Harlem Globetrotters dunk all over the Washington Generals and just completely befuddle them and mm-hmm. but it's not like a sporting event um if you if you watch that as like just something to like get invested in you want to see like the Super Bowl you want to see the two best teams compete and we're not getting we're we're getting Harlem Globetrotters versus the Washington Generals on Westworld and in some respects, yeah, and 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 it, and and it makes the dunking on less impressive because they're just you know like like Dolores even with a shitty plan just or no plan at all or a plan we don't understand or maybe she was Hale the whole time like it <laughs> it, it just it's it, there's no real victory when she wins there's no real sense of accomplishment I should say yeah which is in contrast to season one which had the sense of victory in right. Ford and Dolores right. You know? And May, for that matter. Yeah. Uh, David M., why did the small Ford boy tell the man in black the door was a quest for him? It seems like the door was exclusively for the hosts. What would man in black get out of the door? As revealed at the end, the man in black was a host recreation of the real man in black, so if he went through the door, he could live in the host Eden and terrorize the th- host forever? Um, uh, the, the door, the idea of the door is what led him to, you know, the, the chamber at the end, the Delos chamber. Uh, but they were working on James, right? I, I do feel like there's a little bit, because there's a little bit of this in season one where they had clear, like in the pilot in the first couple episodes, they had some things they wanted to do that they just get get to. Hmm. And like, it doesn't feel like this was meant, this is a game meant for William in any way. Unless the ultimate reveal is that he find, found out he was a host the whole time. But, yeah, which I think, like, maybe they're leading into season three with that idea, yeah. with the door still open or or closed, as it may be, for William. Right, right. Because, like, you know, that the whole thing about, like, this, this game begins where you end and ends where you begin, like, mm-hmm. I don't feel like that 
I mean, when I heard that, I thought, okay, it's it's death, right? It's, right. it's that describes death, but it also describes a rebirth as a host, right? So, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, for me, like the idea of the door was the thing that led him to the knowledge that he is a host, mm-hmm. and that was his door. What was when Ford said one last game? Like I. Uh, yeah, I just don't. I don't. I don't know what Ford was trying to do with William here, and I don't think we're supposed to know because that was like the post-credit scene, and you're supposed to be like, "Oh wow!" And I yeah. also felt like that that um, like like there's a couple things that that Nolan and Joy work way on. For example, what are the identities of the other marbles in Hale's purse? Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of like in a, like out of Vince Gilligan, like we don't even know. Like yeah. we just like, hey, there's five marbles in there, and we'll we'll we're not we're not of a mind of who they could be. They could be this, they could be that, but like maybe they don't have an idea themselves, or maybe they're leaving open. Um, but but uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm not. I don't know. Like I I wonder if it seems like this this flash forward to the future is something that they really want to get to and explore. And I wonder how people will feel if like at the end of season three, they like flash forward a thousand years mm-hmm. and like the man in black is kind of like, you know, not even a thing next year. It's all about Dolores solidifying her power or I, I don't know. Cause she's got a, you know, there's a lot of things she's got to keep in and going like, like she's got to maintain this Charlotte Hales presence at Delos um, that's going to be interesting to see, like what a high-ranking employee at Delos can do uh, when they're a, when they're actually a host. Um, yeah, I mean, the, we do know that the 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 host version of Emily tells William that the the program is long gone, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and she talks about the the world as in terms of like what's left of it, which to me implies that Dolores has succeeded in to some degree at least right. in you know taking the real world from the humans right it could be very matrix too like there's been a costly battle and yeah the environment's been wrecked or there's people i mean i i don't know what the in in game of this and what they're actually it's so weird because i felt like i knew kind of where the series is going to go and the kind of the themes they're going to grapple with at the end of season one and season two it's like i i really don't know i really don't know what the end game of this looks like um all right, Aaron S. Uh, just got done watching the finale, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. One thing I don't quite understand is towards the end of the episode when everyone's at the beach, someone tells Felix and Sylvester to see what hosts are repairable. What's the point of repairing salvageable hosts now? Are they implying they're going to try to get the park up and going again, or am I missing something deeper? Yeah, no, I think it's exactly that. I th- there again, that's a that's a big ask for me to to believe that this park malfunctioned in a way that led to the deaths of dozens if not hundreds of people and there's going to reopen it and people are that hot about Westworld that they're going to put money down and want to get back in it. I mean the the it's still an open question how much people on the outside know about this. But there's no I mean I can if can Delos cover up the deaths of dozens of high I don't know, man. ranking wealthy influential people? I don't know. When they when they have does does and and here's more to the point. Do the showrunners know what a problem that is? Because like here's my thing: Kings Island opens up a new king, uh, roller coaster and it kills thirty people on, on like the I don't know three three it has three years of thirty or he's got thirty like the Beast for example thirty five years of flawless operation or whatever mm. and then it kills three trains full of people in one day. 
There's no amount of I love the fucking beast. I love riding the beast. It's my favorite roller coaster. There's no amount of money gets me back in the beast. I'm I'm thinking there's something fatally wrong with it. <laughs> like how many how, like they could get however many experts stepped in front of there and saying it's a hundred percent safe. It's never going to happen again. I'm still not going to believe it. Mm-hmm. Like I just feel like Westworld or Delos destinations is just going to be kaput. Maybe maybe that will be like uh the 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 lesson like that that fake hail is going to make use of this financial debacle to try to i don't know move something with the human hybrid thing forward that's going to be beneficial for the robots i mean that's definitely well her her goal is immortality and i i don't know i mean she frames it as look we've succeeded here right uh and that is going to be worth far more than any lives we lost to the people whose lives we can save. Yeah. It also gives a constant, so, like, a way to bring things, like, because how good can Dolores feel about being free if she knows there are hosts still trapped in the hell of the park? Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, that's a moral imperative to get those people out eventually or get them into the valley beyond or whatever. Uh, Andrew V has listened to your guys' Vanishing Points recap and Aaron made his horse speaking mishap at about 109 of the ad free version of the podcast reminded me of a thought I've been put off uh, emailing until now what if we could put our consciousness in other types of bodies Dalos seemed to f- uh, fragment partially because of being in the body and uh, being in a body in the real world but if Ford and Bernard can create new sentient beings for custom bodies why be beholden to the human form I want a Shakespeare quoting Buffalo to spice up season three. There's absolutely no reason they couldn't do that. It seems like it. Yeah. Like maybe like I would believe that if if it's if it's a if it's a big ass for your brain to play nice in a perfect replica of your body because of some minor software problems that maybe putting your bo- brain into a horse body would be <laughs> like what would that even mean? You know, like, have you ever really thought about what that would be like? Like, or I think it would be limiting in some ways and yeah. freeing in others, right? Limiting in the fact that I probably can't speak, uh-huh. probably can't communicate very effectively with humans. But your whole, like, what is that body, like, the whole sense of, like, that you don't have to look at your mm-hmm. hand to know where it's pointing? Like, that would be completely off in a, a, in a different body. Like, yeah, even, I, even I, a different I, human body. You know, the people who, like, lose limbs and stuff and have yeah. the phantom limbs. Yeah. Would you have a whole phantom body? Yeah. Would you Would you even know what to do with who? How frustrating like, would it be to be human intellect in a thing that doesn't have fingers and thumbs? Like yeah. you just have one big clumpy. I, I don't know. Like they explore. If, if you want to see a show that explores that, check out Altered Carbon. Because yeah, they do. I, I think honestly, people would probably want, or or these AIs would probably want a human body as like their, you know, everyday wear. And then you drop into a horse for half an hour and run through a field at 45 miles an hour or whatever yeah. they can do, you know? I feel like the ultimate, the ultimate infiltration would be like a, a raccoon. Because mm. you, like, raccoons can run down the street and you don't think anything but, like, oh, there's a raccoon. They have fairly nimble fingers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess you'd suspect, like, if you saw, if you came into the Oval Office and there's raccoons, like, rifling through your drawer, you'd be like, this isn't normal raccoon behavior. But like that'd be yeah, you could just be you could you could it, it's like the squirrels in Rick and Morty, you know you just don't need to know what they're up to. They're like pl- overthrowing governments, and it's like oh where do you find where the robot? And you're looking for the wrong thing, and no one's looking for the raccoons, <laughs> um or monkeys. Like the monkeys, you you know like if a chimpanzee's walking down the street, you'd be like that's I'm yeah. calling the police. Mm-hmm. 
uh, has to be like a wild animal, like like a goose, a Canadian goose. But they don't have any way to manipulate other than their beaks, tools. <laughs> Hey, everybody, want to jump in here real quick to talk about our newest sponsor, Shudder. And if you're not familiar with Shudder, uh, I've got news for you. Shudder is the premium streaming video service built to specifically super serve, as they call it, fans of all degrees of thrillers, suspense, and horror. And it's actually a really good price for that that focused kind of thing. It's $4.99 a month once you sign, once you get out of the free 30-day trial that they're offering. Um they they have the largest, fastest growing, and importantly, in my opinion, human curated section of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. That's what they call it. Can I die? Is this like Westworld? You, you might. I, I mean, Oculus Rift can do some pretty cool stuff. <laughs> uh, and I, I feel like that would be of a piece with the, the streaming platform if you could just straight up die watching this content. Oof, that makes me shudder just thinking about it. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not certain. I have to disclaimer this. I'm not certain that you can't die watching this content. Right. So, you know, t- it, it it all adds to to the feeling of it. Ask your doctor before trying Shutter. Uh, one thing I know you can do is you can stream ad free on all your favorite devices. Mm. I think probably the most relevant to this audience is is phones, right? Like the iPhone has an app. Uh, Android devices have apps. Can I stream it to an actual Android? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't ask them that. I, I should have. Um, you can definitely die if you are inside an Android watching this, though. Oh, <laughs> so, for sure, for sure. Be careful. Um, there are also new spine-tingling thrillers, shocking horrors, and edge-of-your-seat suspense added weekly. So you got something to look forward to every single week. Th- they have a lot of exclusive titles. They do kind of, you know, original content, um, which actually a lot of cool documentary stuff that I was interested in, like the making of and the stories of certain horror franchises. Um, they have a lot of classics, like uh, the Phantasm series. One of my favorites, the Cube series. Are you familiar with the Cube I don't stuff? think so. It's like a sci-fi horror yeah. kind of thing where people are stuck inside of a weird puzzle box, <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, and the puzzle box is actively trying to kill them, and they're trying to get out. Oh, man. Season two of Westworld in a, in a nutshell. Pretty much, yeah. Um, so right now they are offering listeners of our podcast a free 30 days of streaming. You can go to shutter.com slash podcast. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com slash podcast and use the promo code Westworld to take advantage of that offer. And I recommend you do because it seems really cool. I want to talk about another of our sponsors this week, uh, Audible. And you can go to audible.com slash Westworld or text Westworld to 500-500 to get started. The thing they really want you to know about is they have a special for Amazon Prime members. Uh, They can get Audible for $4.95 a month for the first three months. It's like getting three months for the price of one. After that, it's only $14.95 a month, and the offer ends July 31st, 2018. Now, Audible has been with us for a long time. They're one of our very first sponsors, so... Uh, as you know, uh, every month you get credit that is uh, can be exchanged for any audiobook in the store, regardless of price, and any unused credits roll over to the next month. It's a very affordable way to get into audiobooks. And if you don't like an audiobook, you can always exchange it with no hassle. Plus, your audiobooks are yours to keep forever, even if you cancel the service. Audiobooks are a great sidekick for summer activities like hiking, sunbathing, running, road tripping, 
uh, enjoying downtime, uh, downtime outdoors, uh, and more. I use it during uh, the frequent mowings that I have to do in the summer. What if I'm like laying in bed listening to audiobooks? You can are they, still are they good for that. You, you don't have to go outside in the summer. It's, okay. there's, there, that's still legal to stay inside. So yes, you can enjoy Audible indoors. Uh, Sweet audiobook or audio yeah audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet and if you're someone who likes to binge this offer might be a great time to begin a series like game of thrones or harry potter or outlander or as i want to suggest the expanse series by james s.a Corey. the first book being leviathan wakes we're just finishing up the third season of the sci-fi slash amazon show, uh, adaptation i think it's wonderful Jim, you actually did listen to Leviathan mm-hmm. Wakes on uh, Audible. Yeah, I've listened to the first three Expanse books through Audible. Here's the pitch. Uh, if you like Game of Thrones, this is Game of Thrones in space. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a few hundred years in Earth's future. There's no warp drive. There's no Q continuum. It's just it's, it's sub-light travel. Uh, we've colonized Mars. We've colonized some of the outer planets, uh, the, the, the minor, the, the moons, the gas giants and asteroid belts. And surprise, surprise, humanity, even with borders as expansive as that, still can't get along and mm-hmm. still fight and squabble. And it's a lot. It's as much as a, a taut political thriller as it is a science fiction show about battleships shooting railguns at each other, which which also happens. Yeah. Um, with with regularity. It does. So it's it's great. I I'm loving the series. I wish I could start in the books, but I'm the designated <laughs> not book reader on the podcast. So it's only Jim that can uh, that, that can indulge, but you can too. And you go to audible.com slash Westworld or text Westworld to five hundred five hundred to get started. That's a u d i b l e dot c o m slash w e s t w o r l d. Remember, Amazon Prime members can get Audible for four ninety five a month for the first three months. That's three months of the price one. After that, just fourteen ninety five a month. The offer ends July thirty first, two thousand eight. Check it out. Uh, let's see. Minaj P uh, wants to say that Kaksuya was a masterful episode. On seeing the episode after and now the finale, besides being an amazing piece of television, what was the point? Akicha just seems like he was an afterthought. Even if it's a purely build-up episode to show other ways in which the hosts wake up, why have it as an 8th and a 10-episode season? It has set expectations for me that went nowhere. Yeah, I think they needed it to for us to care about the door, the Valley Beyond. Right. Because most of the people who went through that were part of the Ghost Nation tribe. Right. Um, and if they didn't do something drastic and make us care about them, mm-hmm. then none of that would have played. I don't know that... It, I mean, I guess what you're saying is... There needed to be, like, you got the hosts that are woke, like Maeve and Dolores, and you got the hosts that are deluded, like the vast majority of the, uh, like, the Klim 2.0 and the guy dealing cards at a table full of dead men. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, like, the guys like uh, uh, um, Akichida, which are the flowers growing in the darkness. Um, and they needed something like that to give... Dolores stakes like like if I'm going to season three like Dolores just can't turn her back on Delos destinations because a lot of her fellow trout you know a lot of a lot of robots just like her are still there um I don't know and it's a way to I guess get people like Teddy into future seasons even though they weren't fit to, to make it to the door I, I don't yeah I it's tough to say like where that episode should have been uh in the season i think right. eight might have been a little bit of a mistake but i think that it, it's clear to me that the ghost nation was 
intricately written into this season. Yeah. They they wanted them to be a big part of this season from, you know, the idea that they're shepherding other hosts to this this door and and you know, they played with the time there and they showed us what they were doing after or why they were doing the things they were doing after they showed us what they were doing. Mm-hmm. Uh but ultimately like I think Akichida is the the emotional cornerstone there. And if we don't care about Akichida, we don't care so much about the Ghost Nation in general because we don't know them. And so, yeah. you know, when we see them ushering other hosts off to this valley beyond, it's not as important to us if we don't know at least one or two of them. Yeah. Uh, what does it say about a show that a casual watcher almost certainly has to watch an episode multiple times to figure out what the heck is going on? I feel like I didn't need to do that in season one. Uh, it says that they are they've the the sliding scale between emotional investment and keeping the audience's attention versus the mystery box is way too fucking far mm-hmm. to the mystery box side, uh, and I'm seeing that a lot. Uh, I've seen a lot of people state that like it's this is a big commitment. Like this isn't a show you can watch for an hour and talk with your friends for a couple minutes. Like this, I mean, just just to fully participate in what Westworld has to offer, you have to put five to ten hours into it. Yeah. And go to other sites and listen to podcasts and all and, and all that to get 100% of what's going on out of it. And I don't know, maybe there is one person out there. Like, I don't know if that's entirely true. Like, I do think that I wish I could flash myself Man in Black style, um, the movie, not the person, uh, and watch this season without doing anything but just like huh that's a cool hour of television can't wait to see what happens next because i i wonder if some of this stuff is overblown because you get jumbled up all the theories that turned out to do nothing and this is the you know this goes back to why this theorizing is not great because it just muddies the water and gets people's expectations and people start getting really attached to things and you're not you're just designed to you're supposed to watch the show and just have your mind blown every episode or two and then you know the the trouble is i don't feel like they stuck the landing i think the yeah. the landing was very confusing yeah and so if i'm just a casual watcher and all i'm relying on is the show to tell me what's up right i missed the point at the right. end and like why did they think it was important for us to be in bernard's headspace while he jumbled his brains like it, to me that's purely just to make things the, the to keep the reveals safe and secret till the finale like I got zero benefit. Yeah, they're out going of... for a feeling. I I get it, but it just isn't a feeling that I wanted. <laughs> right. Like when your character who you're supposed to, like the is the POV character for the audience is screaming, "This isn't a dream; it's a nightmare." Uh-huh. Uh huh. <laughs> that's not the feeling I think you want. This this this, this all consuming despair. Uh, and like, fuck it, I'm sh- blowing this show's brains out. I don't know if that's exactly the. Uh, the the feeling you want going in with 30 more minutes left in, in the finale. Um, let's see. Uh, Minaj continues, and this is his final point. There are so many things that we have to hand wave this season. The Delos human incompetence, the overall reason for the robot rebellion. Humans knew this was a park and not real life. Timeline twists that don't add any value at all. But in the end, there is just little to no payoff for it. You almost certainly knew going into season two that the robots would find a way out of the park. As they did at the end, it was just underwhelming. I uh, still like the show, but man, it's not easy to stick with right now. Eh, we'll see. I mean, honestly, next season's going to ma- make or break. If this season, I would say that next season is as confusing and hard to follow and ultimately disappointing its payoff as this season, then I don't know what the point is continuing to cover. 
but no, I'm, I'm worried uh now that you've told me about the interviews they've given because i think next season will define what this show is to me mm. and and if next season they double down yet again on the confusing timelines right and the tricky mystery stuff then i will see that that is what the writers care about and this is not the show for me yeah and that's fine like I'm not going to begrudge anyone that that that's, that still likes it, and, and we're yeah. getting ahead of ourselves because you just never know. Like we go back and listen to our season two wrap up of Mr. Robot. I don't even know if we did one because we were so kind of like over it that we're like, "Fuck it," you know. Um, it's not a, you know. Yeah. But if you listen to that, we are talk. We we talk almost the exact same way. Like we thought the show was going to be one thing, it turns out the other. Then season three came back, and it's better than ever. Like. Th- this 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 could all be premature, but for sure, I would say that season t- three ends up a lot like season two, shrinking audience, less interest, less emotional attachment. Then again, I I don't like to do shows for 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 episodes that we just continually carp and harp on. Mm-hmm. It turns into The Walking Dead, where it's just you know us climbing to the the turn the top turnbuckle and, and people's elbowing the show every fucking week, and that gets old. Yeah. Uh, Eren P, there's often part of your podcast where at the very end of the spoiler speculation section where one of you, Reed Aaron, will dig into the tiniest detail and start following a trail of what-ifs to the point where the other, Reed Jim, goes, what? I can't even remember what we were talking about. (laughs) And it's not that it wasn't an interesting idea. It just requires so much detail from so many places that you can't follow along anymore. To me, that's what the finale felt like. Like the writers have been sitting in that proverbial podcast studio so long that they ended the show on a series of what if, oh my God, but like what if moments that only the people in that room could really follow. There are moments where I could tell I was supposed to be having an emotional response or a holy shit realization based on the delivery of dialogue or a swell in the music score. But I was genuinely confused about what timeline I was in and the information was new to me or just new to the characters that had lost all of its oomph. I still enjoyed it. The performance were good, albeit a bit rushed and compacted. They had the classic problem with the series of bottle episodes leading to a finale where all the emotion built up in three or four episodes ago is blunted by the fact that there's too much time elapsed and too many additional epiphanies to get through. There again, that's a consequence of the you know, jumbled story approach. They had to do it that way because if they didn't, it would just give the game up, which I think they should have done. Yeah. I think they should have done. Uh, they should Maybe. have just given up the mystery box this season. Uh, Connor O.B., after listening to the Instant Take cast and digesting the season two finale, I thought of an in-universe reason for the Delos security and employee forces inadequacy. If I understand at this point, the writers are making a point to show the simplicity of the human consciousness over the initial idea of a complex system, illustrating that the hosts are superior, at least in that manner. I've also been thinking about uh, through the humans we see throughout the season, and aside from Elsie and maybe Lee, everyone is shown to be incompetent in some form. And even Lee. Lee's not good at his job. That's the whole, that was the whole yeah. through line for his character. Mm-hmm. This obviously became frustrating as a viewer to see elite personnel, be it in the form of security or senior Delos leadership, come across like a bunch of underqualified asshats. I'm wondering if the showrunners intentionally painted the humans this season as irrational and competent as a representation of humanity as a whole at this point in human history in this fictional world. Yeah, I think that's I think I think that's that's why. But uh, you, you have to give me like if you want to paint that picture, you've got to give me a really solid reason to believe that the hosts are going to be that much better. Because like there are certainly people in this world that I would label extremely competent. Right. And those people would likely be in the employ of massive multinational uh corporations right right like those people are the type of people that 
these type of people hire when they need a job done right. Mm. So you have to tell me why. Like, that, that's what I don't get. Like, tell me, I, I don't want this depiction of, like, humans are idiots that are bad at everything. Because I know that that's not true, certainly by our own standards. And if you want to say that our standards are super low, then you have to show me why the host standards are so much higher. It's a tough challenge because, like, for example, let's say you wanted to tell the story of a chimpanzee explaining why humans are so much better than it. But, How, it, but if you want to explain that to chimpanzees. Right. I'm, but it's, it's a challenge because, our, like, if these robots are as smarter than us than we are of a chimpanzee, mm-hmm. then how the hell? Yeah. How the hell can you tell that story? Because, like, you know, like, you could explain to chimp, well, we have gunpowder and guns. and Yeah, you and, explain the but, whys. But they would, but but the, the chimp wouldn't under, like, they wouldn't even be able to comprehend. I, I don't know. Like, it, it's, how do you tell the story of a super advanced intelligence taking over from a less advanced that, that, is from the perspective of you, you the need a bridge. less advanced thing you do. You, you need a bridge character, and you can do that. You can have, like, the exceptionally smart human being or Bernard, who guides you through that. Or Bernard or the man in black who at yeah. one point was a human and now is a robot. They can, like, try right. to bridge those experiences. But they never tried to do that. They're not. They're, they're, not. they're just making the humans be really dumb. I grant— And that's, even by human standards, really dumb. And yeah, that's, just that's the thing. Like, I think that maybe they need to hire a really good, you know, either— Fire their military advisor and the stunt coordinators, <laughs> uh, uh, or get one. Um, because yeah. like I just feel like that that's the point that they don't give a shit about. Um, I have a feeling that their military and and stunt coordinators are, are listening to this podcast, are watching the show, and going, "Oh my god, they're making me look like such an idiot." Right? I'd because like, on I set they were telling removed. me yeah. they were they were telling me like, "Look, we want the humans to be really dumb." Uh-huh. And then they're not giving that information to the viewers, you right, know? Right. So now I just look like I'm a bad choreographer. Yeah, no, I'd like, yeah, if I was a military advisor, I'm, I would not want this on my resume. No. Because, you know, that happens. Everyone, like, I've, I've been, I've been uh, the, the provider of a service to m- numerous clients that were idiots. And mm-hmm. I had to do stuff that was stupid and wrong right. and bad. And the, guess what? Those projects were not on my portfolio. <laughs> right. Uh, but yeah, they. I mean, there's a way to say that. Like, I, I, what I want to see is the humans coming in with a smart, foolproof plan that yes. Dolores just, 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 just dunks on because she's that much better. Yes. What I got is humans inexplicably acting like they had mental problems mm-hmm. and cognitive disorders, and Dolores with equally flawed tactics and strategy just prevailing. Yep. Uh, because she can't be killed, apparently. She's got titanium frame and the bulletproof brain, and, and fuck you for trying to kill her anyway. Uh, anything else, or should we move on? No, let's keep going. Sam W., where, let's see, where season one is intriguing, engaging, and dramatic, season two's trickery and riddles left us completely cold. After such an explosive season finale last year, the scene was set up to move up a gear, but this season felt like an aimless meandering around points we've heard plenty in season one. Uh, the timeline is so convoluted that it made it very difficult to care about anyone's story, making the finale completely underwhelming. It took us 10 episodes to get to this door, and we couldn't have cared less what was behind it. Uh, to make a very specific criticism about Dolores' character, as we, as I know you guys have been justifying her role in this season as, well, maybe she's supposed to be like that. She's supposed to be robotic. That's the point. That might be the case, but I argue that's bad writing. The primary aim of a show should be to engage or entertain, and watching an opaque character whose goals are ambiguous... Uh, is not entertaining, it's just dull and not good television. 
I ultimately think that we're uh, that I'm out because it seems to me that the showrunners are set on this puzzle box dynamic and expensive emotional entertaining storytelling. Okay, I did want to revisit. Are we ready to say that Dolores's character was just not great this year? Because I think the finale did eliminate any wiggle room the writers could have to be like, well, she's still being manipulated by Ford, or she's still doing this, or no, she's been her free moral agent and she's just chosen to speak in wooden, grandiose, nebulous terms the whole time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I go back to the the scene where she's got this huge army, um, and she expends that army for no reason. Right. When she, it would came she, in handy two episodes from right, later. Right. And and to me that is just a case of Dolores not even making a mistake, like willfully making a mistake. Right. Uh, an unforced error, you know. It's she over the course of this season has done some really dumb things toward a plan that I don't think she ever had and I don't fully understand even if she did. Well, and she kept on saying, like, not everyone was made to get to the valley, and mm-hmm. then she'd, she'd, she'd ter- ter- terminate the robot. What the hell did she mean by that? And why? Because... Like, why? What's your justification I, for that I get statement? It. I get it that she's... She... Because it seems like it's it's schizophrenic. Because on the one hand, I get it that she didn't know about the fake world, and, like, she found all that out and was kind of horrified at the implications. Um... So she didn't know, like, this would be the perfect place to stash Teddy, rather. Mm-hmm. But she does seem like that she needed real motherfuckers. Like, that was her idea of the people yeah. that would survive in the outside world. So why did they, she kill all the confederados? Yeah. Like, that, that one major dude was played by the guy from Justified. That guy seemed like he would be real good to have on the other side of the door. Like, I mean, it's almost like she was trying to thin the herd so that the survivors could get out. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe that's her ultimate plan. Like, look, we can't all just rush the sea and leave yeah. because we'll be mowed down. But if we could sneak right. out, like, you know, if we could two, send yeah. a SEAL team in to get so out of this all, place. Yeah, she's always trying to win. But there again, I I don't understand why her succinctly stating her goal would have fucked up the mystery box. Yeah. Because to me, like, the more I well, think then, about I mean, it, the Hale more... Well, I mean, Hale is revealed. Like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that... They hinge that. But I didn't. I just needed in the first three episodes Dolores to tell me what the fuck she was trying to do. Yeah. The whole season, and I don't know how that would like get to the valley, so I can. I know what's there. It's the. It's like what. The the reveal that like all humanity was inside the forge, or like the everyone's been the Westworld. Like that was pretty much figured out early on. Maybe they didn't think it would be, but like. I just needed her to state what the hell she was doing so I could follow it. They could have left the Bernard mm-hmm. stuff and the fact that he'd shuffled brains around. That could have been a good reveal. But I felt like, unlike last year, they, they really fucked up how much to keep close to their vests and how much to reveal. Because if you don't understand a person's plan and the opposition is an idiot, it just seems like chaos mm-hmm. and confusion. Yeah. Uh, Sean S., I have a couple of Teddy-related questions. There seem to be some glaring plot holes, but I only watched the finale once, so I'm hoping you can sort out some answers. There's a problem... <laughs> you got to watch it, like, three times. At least. How did Teddy's body end up in the flood as seen in episode one? Good question. After Dolores leaves Teddy, they show her traveling what seems like a long time before encountering William. They then travel even further to get to the valley beyond, which leads me to believe Teddy's body is far away from the flood. It's at least an hour away because Dolores said she found Man in Black's daughter an hour's ride up the trail. So, like... Okay. You know, an hour on a gall- galloping. Was she galloping? Was she sprinting? I what was fuck she doing? If I don't know. But but that's a great oh. question because Teddy's in the middle of the goddamn flood, and 
I don't know. He was in some kind of like, weren't they on the outskirts of Sweetwater or something when he blew his head off? I don't or know exactly he, they were where they were. They were in some kind of abandoned thing. This and... is why there's confusion because right. we don't really know. Right. They're... He could have been in what they considered the valley. Right. That was part of this failsafe flood plan. And then like... Dolores had to ride through dunes and across mountains <laughs> and across biome changes. Yeah, to... it doesn't seem to make much sense. But did she? She didn't carry Teddy, right? And she. That's the thing. They could have solved this by just having her taking his body. Yeah, um, but they wanted to. Res- they want. I think this. They got caught up in the fucking mystery box, even in a single ninety-minute episode, because like here, her bringing the body would have, I think, given away that Teddy has another life to lead. Mm. You know. Yeah. Because, uh, but, but I-, I think we're supposed to understand that the flooded area is much, much larger than we think, because it's really the only way he could have remained there. Because yeah, Dolores grabs his brain. It's in with all the other hosts, though. Like He's not like standing by himself. He's like in the middle of this giant flood of people. Yeah, the current just took them all there, I guess. Uh, it's when, when it was not, drained. Not great. Or, no, not even when it was drained before then. Uh, this is a question that like six people asked me. Um, how did Teddy's consciousness get uploaded to the Paradise? Uh, there's an ex- explicit scene where Dolores says, "There's I got one more soul to load and she drops a marble that you presume was teddy's that she dug out of a skull yeah and then he gets it says that you know new profile accepted and he's in there so mm-hmm. that is that that's that's just something that you got confused in 90 minutes of of craziness but but it's it's there which should we take that to mean that teddy is only in the valley beyond or is there a potential marble copy of teddy floating what does seem like they made it clear that when you go through the valley beyond that your marble gets wiped like whatever going through that halo or load it just because like the the brains are described as virginal so i don't and she couldn't use him in the state he was in because he was very conflicted right yeah he brings it back i'm like you again right i yeah and but i do think that that means one of the marbles can't be teddy like like we we speculated that right after but like i yeah i I don't think teddy's on the outside world he's stuck on in the simulation Mm -hmm. uh michael m aaron has always said the season felt like seven episodes stretched out to 10 but to me now that's wrapped up it felt more like a mid-season finale of a 23 episode show what uh if it's not that they didn't have enough but too much to tell the story they want in a single season i think it's it's a, it's a different side of the same coin. Well, I think they procrastinated on telling us anything until yeah. the very end, which then felt overloaded. And they had to do that because because of the, str- the almost any bit of uh, any almost any stretch of that ninety minutes would have spoiled their puzzle box, right? Uh, so, but it's an unforced error. They they chose to, to structure it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the other thing is, we talked about how we feel about the season and like, you know, it's not a terrible season. I will no. even go so far as not only that, but I do admire creators trying something and mm-hmm. like the failure of execution. Like, well, who knew that you couldn't do that? I mean, who knew that the storyline would be received this way? Like, you know, sometimes it's, it, it's a, it's, it's a tough, it's a, it's a tough ask to say that like, not only, do you you, you guys got to be creators to push the boundaries and push the, and and think outside the box? But you also have to have a batting average of a thousand. Like I just don't think that's that's fair. Yeah, I'm just trying to think how this show is. 
I think season one pushed the boundaries much more than season two has ever done. Right. Like season one was all about consciousness and what does it mean to be conscious? How does consciousness sure. uh, become a thing that right. exists? Right. Uh, those to me were questions that I have not seen dealt with in other shows or movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure they're out there. I just haven't seen them. But like you know virtual realities where ai exists and ai trying to get out to take over the real world like those are well-worn concepts within sci-fi right right so like i look at season one and i go man they were really ambitious with their themes yeah in season two i go it doesn't seem that ambitious and they they failed yeah and they like i'm sympathetic to them being stuck because i i do think that the robots as they wrote it escaping westworld was not fundamentally interesting but if they had just yada yada that part people would have bitched and whined so they had to tell the story there's not a lot of meat on those bones they did the best they could but ultimately that this needed to be all part of the prologue um to to get to the state of the show where and it feels very this is very similar to like um the other show we're doing, uh, The Expanse, Expanse. because, yeah. like, it's hard to believe that three seasons in, like, the prologue is over. But, like, after you see mm-hmm. the finale, it's like, oh, shit, this thing's way bigger than I thought it was going to be. Uh, we're at that point in Westworld where the robots are outside. They're, they're different factions of robots outside. They're, like, like the, the this world went from this Mesa complex to the entire world. Yeah. And that's fundamentally exciting. And that's – I'm fine with shows doing that. It's just – Again, the pacing was all off because that just that's a story that needed to be told, but there wasn't a lot there wasn't enough meat to those bones to really tell it. So I had to gussy it up with simulations mm-hmm. and 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 Dalo schemes and all this other stuff. Um and also I think they're some of this feels like they're also trying to still play homage to the original material, like the like the future world sequel to Westworld, mm-hmm. which is all about them replacing the world leaders with robot copies, like right somehow that all got mixed into the five-year plan and when they came the right year two of it it just it just didn't come together uh paul i want to challenge you on something that you two have fallen back on repeatedly throughout the podcast uh all the way through the last podcast the notion of dolores may still be acting on ford's programming i think this is very similar to the thing yeah. that they that, that we already talked about. Um, no, I mean, there's a lot of things I think that we can say were just creative failures. I think that was one of them. Every action scene that involved more than five people is another. Mm-hmm. Um, they do good work on, like, Man in Black having a shootout with three people in a, the rain. Super cool. Claiming himself to be death. That's pretty sweet. <laughs> right, right. Like, I even like the Last Supper action with Dolores and Confederados. Yeah. But anytime you had anything where, like, <laughs> tactics and strategy had to be employed, it was a it was a shit show. And I think, you know, us leaning on that idea, if, any, if, if that is a failure in our regard, it's a failure of optimism. Like, looking yes. for... <laughs> Looking for the the silver lining here, yeah. like saying, okay, we think this is bad, but maybe they'll bring it around. Right. And at some point, that point being when the season is over and they've said all they have to say, you have to look at it and say, okay, well, we were wrong about that. We were wrong to give them that leave, that runway, right. but like until it ends, you got to give them. Yeah, that. like I said, I think I even you gotta said let this them tell their story on, on season one, like. It's hard for me to see where this series goes, but I have ultimate faith in the showrunners. Well, now that faith has been damaged. It has, I, yeah. I now, 
I am now like the the set of possibilities I'm prepared to accept from the show have shrank because of that. Um, and I, you know, the danger that they're really playing in is like I'm going to be entering next season with my you know eyes narrowed, arms crossed, and like you know foot tapping. Mm-hmm. Like I, I better not get any two or three episode stretch where like the fuck is going on and how is the plot moving and who do I care about? Like I'll you know. I'm a spoiler right now. You will. You will. I'm almost certain. Like, with the stuff they've said about it, they want to keep the show how it is. And that, that's their prerogative, and that's fine. That well, pleases some people. But there are, there are some minor tweaks. Like, I don't know how, like, just making... Just give me an appealing character that is not suffering an existential crisis. I like, think, Bernard, I think, they I think was they that, that character. Who was the appealing character? Maeve. But she was a no-show from like the for the last half of the season. She's gone. No, I think she was meant to be it, though. Like, yeah. that's the person. Maeve Akichita later on, but he didn't become that until season or episode eight. Also, I think the other thing they could have done, like, I don't think this would have saved it, but it would have improved it. Like, really think about what you release in these trailers, man. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, that moment of Maeve freeing herself would have been a much bigger moment if I hadn't seen it 20 times. Right. And... Uh, like just does little stuff like that throughout the whole. Like, there's just, just you're, you're I, I don't understand sacrificing characterization and emotion for the sake of the mystery box, and then you let HBO's promotional team just give away parts of your mystery box. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. This seems seems weird. I think they should go like total Mad Men style if they're gonna if they're gonna keep this mystery box shit up. Um, just have Pete Campbell in each of your trailers. There you go. I'll watch him slipping and falling down staircases. <laughs> Uh, Nick in. Okay, so listen to the recap. I think you all forgot something. Remember in season one when they showed Dolores' skeletal... Okay, so this is the email saying that maybe Dolores is extra tough because she's got the endoskeleton system, and that's why she can get shot 50,000 times. I sure. I, I couldn't swear on a Bible that that's actually true. Yeah, I, I thought that happened 30 years ago, but right. I assumed that she had been upgraded many, right. many times since then. Right. Uh, Jason A. from Cleveland. I know you guys said you didn't like the mind egg area being bulletproof, but if you think about it, it kind of has to be. You couldn't have guests headshotting hosts and then like, oh, shit, another mind egg destroyed. It's not efficient in the downtime to repair hosts and print new you mind could, eggs. I mean, what's get... the difference between destroying a skull Dude. and destroying a mind egg when you have a backup of the mind egg in your system that you can just load into a new mind egg? Yeah, like the, uh, what is the cost of printing a mind egg? To me, forty bucks. You can order them on Amazon in the future, right? Like to me, that's the whole like. Unless it's prohibitively expensive to make one, yeah. Then I don't understand the problem. Like, why is that any harder I, than I, replacing their heart or replacing right. their dick that got blown off? Or you know, I suppose we're assuming that the bio components are much cheaper than the hard, the, like the computer hardware. But why? Why the fuck would we assume that? I don't know. I don't know because we can grow the bio components and we have to manufacture the physical. I mean, they're kind of, this, but it, it looks like it's not exactly grown. Like there's an actual machine hand stitching yeah. tendons and shit. Like I, I don't know. To I me, don't know that. That seems like there are built-in assumptions there. Loading, lo- reloading the host onto a memory marble from the not the forge, the the cradle. The cradle seems like it'd be just as just just as as much labor as reattaching a limb yeah um you know and why they don't have several copies of like Maeve and Teddy or the the more popular like you know like why don't they have several copies of those ready to go 
that doesn't make sense. Like they got a cold yeah. storage. Like why? Like there's a lot of shit that just seems like plot holes. So, I mean, yeah, I guess it makes sense to have these things be like. But then you know you could go back and say like, well, why did they ever go away from the the you know endoskeletal style robots? Mm-hmm. Um, more authentic know, experience. More authentic. It's cheaper. Like blah blah, blah blah. But but I, I don't know. To me, it's just it's just not very compelling, especially since. I felt like it came out of nowhere, too. Like, the fact that these things were bulletproof. I mean, they did talk about Bernard's cortical shielding, and, like, it was nicked, and that's why he's leaking brain fluid. And, but there's a lot of that stuff that doesn't, like, go together real well, too. Like, Dolores, if she got shot in the head, started leaking brain fluid, would that that, that would do her in, right? I would think so, yeah. You know? But uh, there's a lot of stuff that's, like, that. that's, again, my hope for the future is... What a host can and cannot, and I, and I can and cannot en, en, endure. I can't have many more of Elsie, like, you know, Bernard's on death's door, and she just like, oh, I programmed you to ignore this until we can get it fixed. Like, I, and I'm prepared to accept that, like, in heroic moments, heroes can rise above. Like, I expect Arnold Schwarzenegger in a movie to take more than a shot or two to go down. Right. Like, right? I, I yeah. get it. There is heroic exceptions, but... I need to know what the fucking baseline is because mm-hmm. right now I have zero idea. I have zero idea unless the whole endoskeleton thing is a deal. And then why can't we have Dolores say that? Like the re- you know, like why can't like a character be like, what gives you the right to have the valley and I don't? And she could like fucking open her face and do something cool. I don't know. No, I mean it goes back to the episode where. You know, I pointed out some of the writing crutches that they uh-huh. used over and over and over again in uh-huh. that episode. And I, my ultimate feeling is these writers are not infallible. Right. Like, they will miss things, obvious things, to the audience that sometimes the writers just won't see because they're too close to the material. Here's the problem I guess I have with that is Westworld takes its time. Yeah. Like, they took a year off to get this right, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And... I just don't see where the stuff was. I don't see where the details were sweated this year. I really don't. To me, yeah. the 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 broad strokes of this season are fine, and I actually admire them, and and I and I like the ideas. But every piece of the detail where the plan had to advance, and that it was it was it left me very cold. Every every piece of plot mechanics where this is a position, both people want it, only one can have it. Let's do the attack. Just nothing. None of that shit made sense because that was the whole outline. That was that was the script. Right. Right. No, they need. I think they need to sweat. That's in my other hope for next year. Is yeah. that like if you're going to take 18 months off, you you better it better feel like like there's a lot of time spent in this writer room getting everything just so. And I just I didn't feel it. And that's our podcast. That's the wrap up. That's okay. uh, going out on uh, I guess a low note. Yeah. Yeah, big, big wet one. But I also feel like that's representative of not just our views, our honest opinions, but honestly, the, the majority of the fandom at this mm-hmm. point is a little, a little cold on Westworld. So yeah, anybody who was in it for more than just the puzzle box, yeah, um, has not been satisfied by this season, in my right, opinion. Right, right. Um, and I don't even know how people feel about the puzzle box stuff too, because. A lot of that stuff seemed like it was misdirection and red herring, and it was a lot of, like, the, the stuff that I remember, the things that seemed like were, had value was the person that identified the, the Valley Beyond, 
and that was the same location as the flood. That had value. The, the people that were predicting that other robots would be in other bodies has value, but shit that, you know, there there was... I don't think anyone called the fact that Hale had been replaced essentially in the midpoint of this season. I mean, other than the fact that everyone said everyone was a host. Right, right, right. (laughs) Just shots in the dark, sure. You know, it's kind of like at the end of... It's weird because like at the end of season one of True Detective, like that's a great series of television, I think. But more than half of the the really woo, oh my God, look at all this crazy attention to detail, shit didn't matter or was accidental. Mm -hmm. And so like how satisfying could the puzzle box be? Like, yeah, you didn't figure it out, but that's because they did a one long 90-minute shitting of every plot point they yeah. needed to get out to proceed to the next season. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it's probably a lot harder to figure out a whodunit if they resolve every plot point in the final chapter. And, like, yeah, it turns out the butler did it, but <laughs> you didn't find out any of the pieces you needed to put that puzzle together until the very last chapter. Yeah, I think they did it twice in this season. They did it in that episode where... We find Elsie in the cave. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a big dump there. Yep. And they said, hey, all those things, questions that you had last episode, boom, we're just going to answer them all right now. Right, right. And then they set up all the other questions that they didn't answer until the last episode. Hmm. And they that's kind of it. They did two big chunks. Well, uh, I can say thank you to everyone that did come along on this voyage with us. Um, I... Uh, yeah, I just uh, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks for your support through the the the, the club. Um, I really appreciate all the feedback we gotten this year, uh, all the activity on the forums. Uh, hopefully, next year will be better. Yeah. Um, but if not, I mean, if uh, we'll be there either way for the fans that want to see the whole thing burn down, or the people that want to see them recover from a stumble. Like honestly, I'm rooting for the show to succeed. I am not in a hate watching spot so no this was not the the stumble that makes me stop watching the show right um this is the one that makes me go well they need to they need to make up for it next season right and i and the other thing unfortunately means i i I just can't extend them the same amount of leeway that i did this season where there was a couple points where and we got called out for it because i think people could tell that we were blunting our criticism um but I, I felt like it was warranted because I had like, you know, shit, this could all be nice and neat tied up in a bow and the passenger episode and everyone's singing praises to it. It just didn't work out this season. Yeah. So next season, if Dolores is acting weird or I can't tell who's living or dying, I'm going to be loudly art talking about that from from the jump, which some people might find annoying. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I did. It does feel like that. Also, I'm almost 100% convinced that we're not going to have Westworld in 2019 because like uh like one of the one of the interviewers was saying are we looking at 2019 or 2020 and and Nolan's very careful to say this takes time and their HBO's not rushing them and I just took that to be there's no way there's no way they're going to be ready to start shooting in time to have it out next year yeah so i guess see you in another 18 months sure Until then, I'm Aaron. I'm Jim. Later.